Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. My life is a spike with pain and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Somber, sweet and sour, Jane, and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Welcome to this episode of the Butterfly Forecast, where we have the multi-talented Marcy Pinna with us today. Marcy really is a Jill of all trades. Her talents span many different kinds of arenas, including stage set, color, and design for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And she brings her architectural, technological, and artistic multimedia background and knowledge to so many different roles and capacities. You'll see what I mean. I hope you enjoy the episode like we did. Hi, Smishy. Hi, Smishy. How are you guys? We're doing well. We are in Florence. Oh my gosh. You both look like sun-touched goddesses. <laughs> yes. We have the pleasure of being with Marcy today. Can you say your name in Italian? There was actually an argument between my parents about my name. My mom wanted to name me Marzia in the Italian way, with a Z. And my dad wanted me to have an American name. He wanted me to be named after my Aunt Marcia. And when she was giving birth, he just wrote it in. <laughs> so I actually have an American name. So nice. I'm Marcia, but my last name is Pina. I love it. I'm glad because I don't think Americans could say it would come out Marzia. Oh, yeah. Marizia. <laughs> Did I say it right? It would have been Marzia. Oh, Marzia. <laughs> It's so beautiful. It's a shame that Americans can't pronounce anything other than what we're familiar with. My Italian family, they can't say the, like the is impossible for them. What do they say instead? The. Oh, yeah. They yeah. replace it with a D. D yeah, I feel I like so. every culture has their version of that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Persians can't say what? W? Mm. They replace it with a V. So instead of what, they're like, what? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. My great-grandmother, who I knew when I was young, uh, she came here from Austria, and she spoke five languages, but none of them were English. And whenever she would sort of catch on to somebody, what they were saying, she would go off in one language, switch to another language, depending on what was the most familiar. And it used to crack me up. I was like, if only she could add one more language to her repertoire, I'd know what she's saying about me. (laughs) Marcy, did you grow up, do you feel like you grew up in two worlds or do you feel like you just created your own seamless culture? I think a little bit of both. I definitely think when I lived in Italy and Sardinia as a kid, I, I really got fully immersed in that because I was so young. I was five and I went to preschool there and my mom was studying at the University of Bologna. So she she left me with my grandmother there and and all my cousins. And so that really felt like a whole other world. And I I forgot how to speak English I was speaking Sardinian dialect and Italian. And then uh, when I came back to the United States, I didn't 
I couldn't talk to anybody for like, <laughs> like a few months or something it took to come back maybe like five months or something. And so that period really felt like two different worlds. I felt like I had this little notch in my history that was in another place. And then after that, because it was going back and forth more part of the year and the other part of the year, it felt more seamless. One thing I told Melody when we were there is I would always go to Sardinia and I would, I would shop for my clothes because I was like, oh, I'm in Italy. I'm going to buy all of my clothes in the fashion place. And I would get all these clothes that were very fashionable in Italy, really bright colors and really, you know, cool, interesting, modern stuff. And I would come back to the States and feel like that was like a, a, bad, not, decision. Yeah, it was a yeah. bad decision. It wasn't the right move or something or I felt like I was in another world when I came back did you come back and forth your whole life basically yeah pretty much yeah Mm -hmm. I went definitely every summer when I was growing up I know we both share losing our dads young you lost yours super young losing a parent young is so interesting because you have this whole side of you that you don't really get to know because they're gone and then as you age you know like through your life and you learn more about yourself and then you're reflected back your dad through other people you realize like how much you had in common with that side and you realize like where it comes from and it's been so cool watching Marcy on this trip because she literally has like 31st cousins (laughs) and her dad had 10 brothers and sisters yeah he was one of 10 He's the only one that's passed. One of my aunts passed a few years back. And so there's eight of them left. Mm -hmm. And how many of them are still in Sardinia? Seven of them all live there. The other one lives in Genova, so not far away. Yeah. So it's like they've all lived in this same place their whole lives. And so we would go places and like people know her dad, like recognize her from her dad, which I thought was so sweet. Yeah, the hotel that we stayed at, the proprietor of the hotel was a good friend of my father's. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. It's like you get to know your dad, but you know him from other people's lens and experiences. That's really special because, you know, a lot of us grow up with parents and we never meet their people and we only have our limited experience with them. So I think that's really special. And did that change the way you see, like, U.S. culture? Um, Yeah, there's. it's been really interesting because my family, I think, apart from the cultural differences between Italy and the United States, I also noticed a lot about, like, certain groups and personalities, like, and, and how outlook, I feel like, is both cultural and also genetic, which I think is really interesting, like, my family in Italy, and it's particularly my grandfather's side of the family, they all have a really positive outlook on life. And they're not very well off, but they have a really nice life. They have a strong community. Everybody's still there. They care about their food. They care about their culture. And they're and they're generally just have a really positive outlook. They're really happy. And then I have my American side of the family who are who are also have a pretty good outlook on life, but just in contrast, it's not quite the same. And even my grandmother's side in Italy, 
she always had a kind of more pessimistic perspective. And a lot of people from her side of the family kind of have the same kind of more serious, kind of darker, pessimistic outlook. And I just, I always thought it was interesting because there's so many Pina, there's so Mm. many from my my family that, and they all have this really positive outlook that I was like, wow, this is like a genetic trait. Yeah, it actually is. You know, I did my, I did genetic testing this last year. And there is a gene that's called, it's like either the worrier or the warrior. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And so you either have one or the other. And wow. um, they told me that I have the worrier gene, which <laughs> made so much sense because my mom and her side of the family are super like that. Like they just worry for a job. Mm. And I always, I've like tried to fight it my whole life, but it's really difficult. And then once I figured out it was a genetic disposition, it made me be a lot easier with myself about it because I'm like, oh, wow, I actually inherited this. So I have to work at it. You know, I have to like constantly choose something different. I can't just like switch it off. Yeah. Well, I had such an interesting experience with that because I was a pessimist until I was like, 26 I feel like or 25 maybe I was really I just had this really pessimistic outlook and I actually used to think that optimistic people were like dumb Dumb. (laughs) (laughs) and then something switched and I became like an optimist and now I'm fully an optimist and it's just interesting to have have lived life with both perspectives because I can kind of understand both like I remember what that felt like to feel like you'd look at things and you'd see it in a negative mm-hmm. way. That's so fascinating too, because if you put the cultural aspect onto it as well, you literally have insight into two entirely different worlds, just the way people think about things. I know the one thing that I've really appreciated about my family being so diverse, they bring with them from those cultures perspectives, as if it's a fact. Or certain rules about things in life. Or, you know, I I just love that I've had that privilege of being in it, but not just being of it. I wonder if you feel the same way. And Sushi, you've had this as well. It becomes part of your lens to view the world. You sort of take it with a grain of salt when somebody tells you absolutely, you have to do this. You already know, maybe I do, maybe I don't, which is incredible. Marcy, you know, I've only met you a few times before, but every time I've met you, and then also the way the people who we have in common talk about you, every time they mention you, they say a new thing you're doing. Oh, yeah, she's handling that design now. Every time I hear that, I go, she is? Wait, how did this happen? It was the last time you told me she was doing something completely different. Would you say that you have awareness of kind of being this Jill of all trades? I I definitely am. I used to have kind of like a weird resistance to it. I read something recently, actually, that was the quote, and it said, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And then apparently that's where everyone stops the quote, but it it has another part too. And it says, is still always better than a master of one, which I had never heard before, but apparently that's the whole quote. I love that. Wow. 
feel so much better even just in that one moment of reading it because I was always like, jack of all trades, master of none. I'm not a master of anything. But then, honestly, I and I'm, Melody and I were talking about this. I feel like it's more like you have a wheelhouse, like through time, I keep coming back in cycles to different elements to things that I feel like I I pursue and I I go a little deeper with every time I come back to it. There's visual art, music, interior design, architecture, real estate, and cooking. And these are kind of my main. I'm sure there's other things that I do. Music. Yeah, music music was one. And then also like logistics stuff. I feel like I keep getting deeper into these subjects, but they keep repeating, like they keep coming back up. So over time, I've given myself permission to feel like at some point, maybe I'll be a master of all of them. That's so fascinating. You know, you remind me, I have this friend and he became an integrative doctor and he was on this mission in life, you guys, to collect women who had already had one child or more and were done. And whether they'd been to school or not, it was his life mission to get them to consider going back to school and becoming a natural doctor. And I was like, why? (laughs) Like, why females? And why if they've already become mothers, especially? He goes, well, Julie, that is the most neglected population that we have in the world, and strangely, the most skilled. He's like, if you have done any caregiving in your life, no matter what, functional family, dysfunctional family, you actually know how to run a business. You know how to tune into people very quickly. What they tell you they say is wrong may not be what you're perceiving as wrong. And he's like, think about putting all those qualities. Where would they do better than in medicine? And he had this really high success rate. And he would go and he, as soon as he'd meet a woman who had like not found her niche in life, he would start talking a little about healing, talk about medicines, talk about different aspects of medicine. And then he'd start in and he's like, if I promised to be your study friend for all the years it took, would you consider it? I'll find you a scholarship. And then he would do it. And he had such a high success rate. I think about it a lot, though, because you're talking about being a jack or jill of all trades and master of none. Maybe we just don't know what a master looks like. Women are so capable of multitasking. I feel like letting myself be comfortable with that fact it's also about the way you frame it. Sometimes you, I used to frame it as like, oh, I'm ADD, or I would say something negative about it. Like I am, I'm scattered. I I can't, can't focus or something like that. But in actuality, like I can actually multitask and I can put attention to several different things at the same time and, and give actually a fair amount of focus to each of them. If I don't, perceive it as being scattered, if I think about it as being multifaceted, I feel more comfortable in that position. And I think a lot of women really have that capacity. Mm-hmm. If you're caring for a child, like you kind of have to be like that. Or if you're caring for other people, like you said, caregivers, someone who's a caregiver, that that's a skill set that requires you to be able to think about multiple things at one time. Well, that's what makes me wonder about you. I mean, 
I see traits of that melody in her work all the time. Like, I'm familiar with her childhood and her upbringing, and I can see why she's so brilliant at her craft. And I also see why it expands. <laughs> you know, like, now she's doing something else, and I go, oh, yeah, I get why she can do that. You know, it's an extension of our earlier skill set or a survival skill or a tool she, like, carried in her back pocket. And with you, I wonder how young you were when you realized I'm not stuck in just one thing. Like once you establish a comfort level with something you've done and you're, you're pleased with it, not in the way you think you've arrived, but in that way where you're like, oh, yeah, that felt so right. Then what happens after that? Are you drawn to explore something new entirely or expand on what you are doing? Like I was saying, I think there's certain things that I keep coming back to and going deeper. It's almost like a, a circle that has a bunch of points on it where I, I go a little bit over here and go a little deeper and a little bit more deeper over here. Recently in the last seven years, I kind of added medicine and science, more science-based stuff. Although if I say that and then I think back to when I was younger, I actually was very interested in science when I was younger. I was very interested in chemistry and I did a lot of chemistry in college. I was a geology major for the first part of my university before I switched to art. So even that has like a history for me as well, but it took a while before I came back to it again in this form. And maybe the form changes slightly, you know, uh, I'm doing like, for instance, right now working on this stage show and the visuals and creative kind of creative directing some of that stuff. I'm doing that and I'm thinking like, oh, this is new. And then I think back, well, actually my major in college, I, I majored in digital media and digital cool. art, but I haven't really used it in this way until now. I, I drifted off and did graphic design and, you know, some of other things that would could technically be in that category, but not specifically multimedia digital art, which was what my actual emphasis was. But this now that I'm doing is exactly that same thing. You also draw, right? Yeah. Or paint? Yeah, I've done both, painting and drawing. That's so beautiful. I love that about the human design. So it might have like those familiar components. You know, architecture is very mathematical, is very scientific. But then switching to a new medium can open up more abstract thinking. So maybe you can let go a little bit more of the rules of design and accommodate, you know, that specific situation. I mean, uh, it, it's inebriating. I, I love that sort of um, ability to adapt to a new medium but still carry through what you've always been. And sounds like you do that everywhere, like cooking. Cooking and medicine are very similar. Definitely. And I think I had a really big revelation when I got really sick seven years ago. I, you know, I had a mold exposure and, and Lyme and I got this chronic inflammatory thing I've talked to you about before. Mm -hmm. And I got really into Rubik's cubes at that time when I was sick in bed with chronic fatigue, I was doing a lot of Rubik's cubes. And I had this revelation that 
healing and my life process and all of that is very similar to the way that you solve a Rubik's cube, because sometimes in order to get the piece that you want to fit in what looks like the finished position, you have to move it over here and over there and over there and like back. And then finally, after like six different things, you move it and it's like, wow, now it's in the exact right (laughs) position. And I saw this like metaphor for all of this because I've had that with healing as well like I kept thinking oh I gotta do this thing this thing this thing you know or like even the idea of like specializing I'm gonna go always pointing in the same direction but sometimes the detours that you take it feels like a detour and it's really not it's just that was the path that needed to happen to make that thing fall into place and I thought that was really beautiful That is so beautiful and it's so profound. And it's also encouraging because I think a lot of times we've been taught that success comes from A to B to C to D, period. And if it didn't happen from A to D, you're not going to succeed. That's already a a huge myth in life. And then now that we've created a westernized version of goals, it's not like goals about achievement of what you hope to add to the world or share. It's what you become. And that's so very limited. So again, if you don't achieve that one thing, it looks like you did not succeed. I love what you are sharing about the Rubik's Cube because I think we we are uh, in such need. And especially now, it's such a wonderful opportunity to open the mind to like a million one ways to get anywhere. And maybe you go around that cube like three times, five times, six times and miss it. And then when it fits in that time, you also learned what you did those other five or six times around. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. How about you, Smushi? How about when you are figuring stuff out? Are you pretty much a straight shooter? Like go for the bullseye? Yeah. (laughs) I am. (laughs) If I know what the bullseye is, I go right for it. And if I don't know what it is, then I just go as forward as I can and then figure it out. But I always have faith in figuring it out. Sometimes I'm not brave enough or I pace myself differently depending on what it is. But yeah, as you know, I have a, my like greatest fear is being vulnerable (laughs) So sometimes I do things at a much slower rate than others. Yeah, but you have your eye on the prize for you and you may not reveal it until the zero hour, but you've got your eye on that prize. Yes. Yeah, it feels really good when I have something mm. that feels that clear where I'm like, oh, this is the goal and I know I need to get there. I don't know how to get there, but it's fine because I... I feel safe, like comfort in knowing a goal, you know, or having a goal. Because oftentimes I just don't even know what the goal is. I think that's the sort of mysterious X factor of love. Like when you love something so much that you're going to do it anyway. I feel like there's also laws of momentum that follow that. So you're going to get there. It just not may not be revealed yet. Yeah, do you have that? Uh, Well, I'm such a backwards person because I have 
like oftentimes a vision of something at its completed stage or the fan of possibilities for it. And I have no clue whatsoever how to walk there. But I have seen the outcome. And so it's really, it's a whole different messed up way to function because it's so nonlinear. But ironically, I love science and method. So I'll start searching for like Blue's Clues and, you know, look for that one thing. And I'm like, I found it. That is part of my vision. Okay, means I'm going to keep walking this way. Rarely do I have the confidence that it's going to fit together in a seamless way. But I have 100% confidence that all the right pieces will kind of come together eventually. And so I think what I struggle with is timing because it already looks so obvious. You know, I see the end in the beginning. It's so there. And what I didn't see is how long it takes to actually get from here to there <laughs> or that there's a mountain. I, I feel that, that, that yeah. same way where I feel like I can I can see the end result, but I don't know how, how long it's going to take to get there. <laughs> and I used to be really, uh, it, it used to stress me out so much time. Time would stress me out. I would always feel like I didn't have enough time. And I've really worked on that a lot. And now I just sort of, I really don't worry about it as much. I don't worry about if, again, if it feels like I'm on a, what feels like a detour, because I know that I'm coming back to that point and it's all going to be where it's supposed to be (laughs) at the time that it's supposed to be. I just don't know how long it's supposed to take. (laughs) Yeah. Because that is the abstract part of any process. Time and space, ugh, what a tricky thing. But again, I really feel like when you love something, that's the momentum piece. Yeah, I think it's particularly difficult, maybe for all three of us, because I feel like we all have trailblazed in different ways. And so timing and having a vision for something that seems so obvious to you is so difficult when you find yourself being in the position of like realizing that nobody's ever done that before, that thing before. And so you're just like, wait, there's no reference point for this. So it's so clear and easy for me, but everybody else is going to struggle with this because most people need a reference. Like they need an example or like, who's done this before? How's this been done before? So I think that's where the jack of all trades also comes in because Mm. when you're that kind of person, when you're a trailblazer, you literally have to figure out every single, like the logistics, the creative, you have to figure out every part of it. You can't just be the visionary. You can't just show up and be the artist. You have to be the scientist, the chef. You have to be all of those things just to be able to do this one simple thing that people are too dumb (laughs) to let you do so easily otherwise, you know? Mm, That is so, so true. But, you know, that's an additional piece to um, being a jack of all trades or Jill of all trades is working together, collaborations. And even on a very simple level, And I say simple and I want to say, ha, ha, ha. But the three of us are married. By the way, congratulations, Marcy. It's really exciting. We're married and that's a collaboration all the time. You're you're never not collaborating. 
so you have your like skill sets and your wisdom and your insights and your intuition plus your passion for what direction you want to move in but you have to work with theirs as well which are equally strong as yours I quite a bit I know you do too. We're, we're, we're like oh the chili peppers have taken over our lives. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that for you guys. I was like, you're both such strong, clear women, clear, and you're both multi-talented. You're also very socio-culturally, emotionally intelligent, which gives you a lot of versatility in the world. How do you navigate that in a 24-7 collaboration where their vision is specialized. This is why I was thinking again about being like a Jill of all trades because like Marcy John is so specialized. He's like uber genius and his genius is unparalleled, but it's quite specific. So his lens has this beautiful zoom lens capacity. But what's that like when you're like, hey, babe, <laughs> that's amazing. But what about the house? Uh, what about, the, you know, what about the garden? Like, how do you do that? Or she's <laughs> like, you do it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it functions for us actually really well. When we, when we came together and once, you know, there was obviously when two people come together, there's a lot of negotiations about, you know, how are we going to fit together? And I think it took a bit for him to sort of hand over trust and to believe that I could actually provide that for him, that I could give him the space to be able to be that laser focused. And instead of, I think a lot of the other elements in his life were kind of in all, in a lot of ways dysfunctional because of how focused he is and how how much attention he gives to the thing that he has to give his attention to everything else sort of just falls by the wayside. And, and, but it's also difficult to, to give trust to another person to say, well, you, you just handle it, you know? And so there was, there was a bit of time where we came together and now he just sort of trusts me with all of those elements. And it feels really nice because I know I'm capable of those things. And he starts to feel more and more comfortable, just feeling safe to focus in the way that he knows he needs to. And I see him focusing even more than he did before, which I didn't even think was possible, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's a nice balance that we have together in that way. That's so beautiful. It also feels like it gives my multi, it was another thing that happened in my life that gave my multifaceted personality its own place, like a place of multifacetedness kind of became in and of itself a specialization. And so that felt really good. Feels really good. I love good roles, like yeah, clear roles. Clear roles. Mm. Know what your role is in the relationship, yeah. and you just kind of fall into line. Like you do this, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I feel like that's the best because then you could just do what you do. Yes, that's where you can be creative. We keep getting 
more and more, even this tour is a new, interesting um, iteration of that. We're packing our bags. I see him <laughs> struggling to pack his bags. And I say, why don't you just go sit down and play guitar and I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, really? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah. It's actually easy for me. And it's difficult for you. So I'll do the thing that's easy for me and you do the thing that's easy for you. And together we'll both be in a more fluid zone. That's so beautiful that you figured that out. And also that you're so clear about not the passive aggressive aspect that sometimes happens when someone has a specialization, the other doesn't. Then it's like, oh, you never do that. Rather than hey, I got you. You don't have to do that. I don't think there could be a better mutual cooperation than that. Sushi, I think you've discovered a lot of that too with Flea, a lot. I think you've created it. I think you found a lot of spots. Don't you? Yeah, we found stuff. We're um, similar in a lot of ways. So Mm. oftentimes something that I wish I could just do, he wants to do with me or versa. And so I'm like, just let me take care of buying the couch. And he's like, no, I want to choose the couch too. And I'm like, but you know, I have good taste. I'm going to make a good decision on the couch. And he's like, I don't know. So I think there's still a lot of like relinquishing control. We're both kind of used to controlling our environments in certain ways, um, especially when it's aesthetic or visual. And even though we're both super busy, we still want to take on more. We think we can take on more. So we're still easing into like letting go and having more trust that the other person's going to, you know, like cover their part. Yeah. Don't you think, I mean, both you and Marcy use that word, trust. I think trust is the big one. It takes a long time to develop, although I will say like interesting for Melody and I both in our engagement with the the music group as a whole, we've been given a lot of trust Mm -hmm. in the creative department. And I've been really Mm -hmm. impressed with how easily and how open everyone has been to both of us in that world. And that's been really interesting. Like, oh, like Melody's doing all the merch and that's amazing. Like we love it. Great. Do it, you know? And similarly, you know, with me for like some of the artwork stuff as well, like just complete trust given. And I'm like, this is some sort of psychic thing because I don't even know that I, no one like looked at my portfolio or anything. Everyone's just like, yeah, we got you. You're on it. Like you do it. And I'm, okay, great. Like I feel confident in that. And I'm glad that you also see that. And that feels really nice. And it's, it's just nice to, I feel like trust in that area. Right. I feel like I've been given trust. Totally. Well, I think both of you also have so much capacity and you have worked in far more challenging situations. So you're like, guys, let us do it when clearly this will take you further as well. So I, I think they recognized it right away. Amazingly open. It was a really nice feeling to feel that openness. Yeah, it's very uncommon. Mutuality. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the big thing. It's like, for me, it was like, wait, I can do this thing. Like there's this one area here where I know I can do this. And then they felt the same way. 
And that felt really good. And I'm sure for you too, it was like, wait, I can make this better. I could do this. But it's also a testimony to their own, uh, the caliber of the way they work through things. The fact that they were able to recognize it in a unified voice so quickly, I think that's remarkable and truly says a lot about them as a band and as a group of people, as a group of men. Yeah, I feel honestly so fortunate as well, To especially as I knew John since right when he quit the band the second time for the 15 years that he wasn't with them. That was when we became friends. And then for the last seven years, we've been partners. And I feel so blessed at the group that he, I mean, I, I, I think about it all the time. I'm like, what if he was rejoining another group where everyone was like an alcoholic and, a yeah. dr- and drug addicts and like all this stuff. And no, he's rejoining this group of men and everyone is on this path of like improving themselves on a health level, improving themselves on a spiritual level. Like everyone's in this group seems to be invested in growth and forward momentum and like positive Positive growth is what I feel like is the overarching theme. And everyone is at their different point in that growth path of their own growth path. But in general, everyone is invested in growing and in getting better. And I feel like that's something that I identify with in myself and in like my life path. I said to a friend of mine one time that happiness is feeling a forward if happiness is growth like happiness is growing happiness for me is i i identify that as feeling like i'm improving or moving forward in some way even if it's small as long as i feel like i'm getting better that makes me that gives me happiness Mm -hmm. and so it's really cool that everyone is on that same path Mm -hmm. i love that Is it ever tricky when you have that awareness of what you bring? Do you, are you able to hold the container of it when you're compared to others or when there are comparisons, you know, going on in, let's say the thought sphere or the environment around you? What do you mean by comparisons in what way? Well, there's always like other options, right? Like, oh, like with Melody's tour merch, like she, her ideas to me are just so light years ahead of the concept of selling concert t-shirts and, you know, paraphernalia and stuff. It, she's talking about like bringing the actual place they're at, the concert, their themes, the design the something someone would love forever, whether or not they were at that concert or not, like so many things about it, she brings to it. But there's a lot of other people who manufacture tour merch. What happens when you know what you have, but it's also you're in the presence of others who do the same thing, but not like you? For me, I feel like it goes back to that, what we were saying about the openness of this group. I, I never f- have felt like there was any second guessing or any questioning of, you know, alternatives. It's just been an openness to what we bring. And that's been incredibly positive. 
sometimes there's like an early resistance of like, well, this isn't, this isn't the way we always do it, or this isn't the way it's been done before. But in all honesty, it doesn't feel like it's coming. It comes more from, yeah, like it, it comes at the top, there's openness. And then maybe some of the people who have to do the implementation are confused by a new way of doing things. And there's like an adjustment. But as far as as far as the vision and the people who are in charge of that vision, which would be the group themselves, that is has an openness, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the great thing about working with artists who are established. Right. You know, it's like they've already had six quote unquote success according to the corporate structures that they answer to. So they have more freedom. And because they've had that on their own terms, they get to dictate what they want to do or don't want to do, even if it doesn't fit into another corporate structure. So like with the merch, it was like, yeah, it was really easy for them to go with a traditional company that creates like generic designs without really knowing them or knowing the music, they just take the logos and slap them on stuff. And, and they, they have capabilities of making things for as cheap as possible and selling it for as most as possible. But that's not what they're interested in. You know, they wanted something that was special to them and that was meaningful and that came from somebody that knew them. And they also wanted to be involved in the process, but they didn't they didn't have the capacity to do it themselves. And I think it's so much easier when there's, again, back to that word trust, when there's already trust there, you know, it's like with the, with the show, they already trust Marcy. So mm-hmm. trust that she'll be able to implement her vision on stage while also keeping just enough communication where they don't have decision fatigue and they don't have to do the thing, but they can still be a part of it. So it's like this beautiful bridge that exists, but it's also a rare position to be in because, I mean, I know in my business, I maybe have like one person that I could do that with. But if I had that across different categories, like somebody that I really trusted, that I knew knew me, that I knew understood my brand, it'd be so much easier to do things sort of like directing them without actually having to like dive deep into it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I relate to that a lot. Yeah. I relate to that in your work. Well, I mean, I relate to it in my work in the sense that my work, I didn't plan on ever doing this. It wasn't planned out. So people just kept coming, but I didn't have a business background. So like a, just how to manage the crowds of people that came. I wasn't expecting that. I think then when I start to get asked to do workshops, I'm like, oh, but I'm not a presenter or a speaker. But then they didn't give up asking and over and over. And there's a whole crowd of people I've worked with. I'm like, I guess I could come and talk about what is it you guys are concerned about? Oh, that? Oh, I love to talk about that. Okay, I'll come. But, you know, so I'm developing these things. But then the next time people are like, well, what do you charge? And what if it's a group of 100 people? What if it's more? What if it's less? What if it's a private circle? Things that I'm like, I have no idea what to answer. Or now I'm trying to put out two books. 
Well, I had my little taste of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't like the publishing industry. I wish it wasn't me who had to navigate it. You know what I mean? So it'd be so nice if somebody kind of got what I was really about. I'm not about business, but I still have to manage what comes to me so I can take care of my family and, you know, pay the bills. It's hard to do everything. It's very hard. I do a lot of studying. I go online. I learn from other people. But if I ever did find somebody who could, like, be the overseer of Summit, oh, my gosh, I would turn it over immediately and, you know, zero issues with control. (laughs) But I think, you know, that's the tricky part about anyone who does something creative, especially if it's not been done before because they don't know how to view it from a commerce point of view uh, and you as a resource, you know. So, um, which is why sometimes like people of means will offer me an obscene amount of money to just suddenly go to their home and their family, which is on the other side of the world. And then I'm like, I can't do that. I have people coming tomorrow for appointments. I can't just tell them, you're not important. This person's important. Things like that. How do you navigate stuff like that? It's impossible. So yeah, I think that would be very useful if there was a category of people who love to weave other people's talents and realize that it's really about service. It's really about putting the right service in the right place on a mutual level. (laughs) It's really amazing to think about the different aspects of just what you do. Marcy, you're such a gracious conversational guest. Like, you're so easy. (laughs) You're just such a pleasure. That's true. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that that hour just, like, flew. It really did. Marcy, it's you. I don't know. It's fun when I feel like in my head I have a lot of, like, deep thoughts that, (laughs) you know, that I don't always talk about with people I think because a lot of times I feel like I'm attempting to stay more surface so I don't overwhelm anyone with my no. you know like ooh, yeah. kind of I love it vibes. we love that so much that's the, like that's the favorite part yeah yeah to be yeah. in a place where everyone wants to go there I Let's feel go. like <laughs> we drove well we've been together for the last five or six days and we had a, a couple long drives and I learned so much about her and I'm, I'm surprised the hour went by so fast because there's so many other things I wanted to touch on that I'm like, oh, but there's so much more still. <laughs> oh, well then, Marcy, part two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you in any city of your choice. Yeah, <laughs> this is fun and easy and nice. Yeah. Nice to talk to you guys always. Yeah. Uh, well, enjoy your trip, and I guess I'll catch you in the next city. Yes. Till then, ciao. Ciao. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>